Hey guys, it's Rachel, and this week I am hosting Rise Together all by myself. Dave Hollis is actually recording his audiobook right now, which means he has to preserve his voice. And so your girl, Rach, is, is taking this one on all by myself, and I thought it would be super fun to do an episode where I answer your questions. See, we did a recent series called Ask Dave Anything, and you guys sent in all sorts of questions and queries and this and that, and he had so much fun, and y'all loved that episode, and so I thought I would do the same. So I got on my social and asked you what I could answer for you, and I have a whole list. So I've not looked at these yet. We're going to jump right in, and hopefully there's something in this list of questions about relationships with our romantic partner or our children or ourselves that will be helpful to you. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis. And I'm Dave Hollis. And we're married. For like 15 years. And we have four kids. That's like a thousand kids. We've been foster parents to four kids as well. And we're running a business together. That's a lot of things. It is a lot of things. But we know that it's possible to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life. So if you want some tips and tricks on how we get through all the things, this is Rise Together. What do you do when your partner thinks they are always right? Man, there's so many ways to answer this question, and it's a little bit hard without context because there are people who always think that they're right, but they're basically harmless. Uh, my dad comes to mind. My dad is 100% positive that he is right at all times. Um, but frankly, I'm just like, all right. Old man, yep, you're right. The sky is definitely green. I just don't even argue with them because it's completely futile. Like it doesn't do anything to argue and so I can let it go. And then there are also people who think that they're always right and the way that they're acting is antagonistic or hurtful to you. Like it's, it becomes something more when the person is being disrespectful. So I think that that is where you start, is what is the intention? What is the intent with which this person is acting in this way? I think oftentimes people hold on, cling to, obsess over them being right because it makes them feel secure. Like it is not a confident person that has to be right all the time. Let me say it again for the people in the back. It is an insecurity to demand that you know best. It is only people who are utterly confident in themselves, who are open to new ideas, new ways of thinking, who are confident enough and frankly loving enough of their partner to be able to receive and consider an opinion not their own. And maybe you consider an opinion and it doesn't sway the way you believe, but you're adult enough and mature enough to at least consider it. So start with what's their intent. If the intent is just like, oh, crazy old Maurice, and if you didn't get that Beauty and the Beast reference, we could never be real life friends. Um, if it's just them being silly, let it go. If the intent is to be disrespectful to you, then that's the situation that you need to address. One of my favorite things I ever heard in speaking about marriage, and you guys have probably heard me talk about this before, is the question, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? 
because oftentimes we will battle to the death so that we can be right, but we're a bull in a china shop. We absolutely destroyed everyone around us. We hurt our partner. We maybe hurt our children or our coworkers at the office because we had to be right. So do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Because oftentimes there's a big difference. All right, this one really isn't about relationships. I'm trying to stick with relationships, but I'm going to answer it because I think it's a good one, and it could be about your relationship with yourself. The question is, how can I keep up my self-confidence during hard times that seem designed to test it? Interessante. I feel like we could go so deep, and I wish that I had y'all here so that we could do an like I could actually get some context behind this. A situation shouldn't be able to affect your self-confidence. Your self-confidence, go, let me just try and make an analogy work here. Your self-confidence is not a thermometer. Your self-confidence is supposed to be the temperature setting in the room. Let me explain this. And I, I know you, you all have heard this like a uh, thermometer versus a thermostat. We sort of use this analogy. It's very old school. Preachers have used it for years. Like, are you reacting to the way things are or are you creating the reality? And self-confidence is something that exists inside you so that what is happening around you should not be able to affect it. I am supremely confident in the things that I have gained knowledge and know that I know what I am saying is true. So one of the areas that I feel very confident in my life is business. I am supremely confident in how to run a company like mine and how to make money at this. It's why you know, business conference was so successful. It's why my coaching program does well. It's why, um, you know, is why I've been able to build what I have built. Not because I'm fancy, not because I was well-connected, not because um, someone handed me anything. I have confidence because I have knowledge and I have knowledge that was hard fought. So like I've worked hard to know the things that I know and frankly, many times have had to go through really hard situations to earn this knowledge. And so that confidence can't be tested. Put me in a room with anybody and I'm talking about my business and it doesn't matter who I'm talking to, I'm going to hold on to that confidence. So I guess my question for you, friend, is if you feel like your confidence is being tested by the situation, is the confidence real? I mean, because if if you're grounded in what you know, it can't be taken away. I, I, I hope that that makes sense. It can't be taken away from you. And if it can, then you just need to do some more work. You need to acquire some more skills. You need to continue to develop the confidence in that specific area so that the next time something pops up, it doesn't shake you. I'm very, very confident in my skills as a mother. That's not something I would have said eight years ago. I, I am really proud of how I mother my children. Proud. Like eight years ago, 10 years ago, I absolutely beat myself up. I thought I was doing it wrong. I 
when people said that I wasn't living up to expectations or when our family questioned what kind of job I was doing because I was a working mom and what would this mean to the kids? And they destroyed me. It absolutely destroyed my confidence in myself as a mom when anybody had an opinion on how I was as a mom. If you have an opinion on me as a mom right now, I would literally laugh in your face. Like, and I'm not trying to be a jerk. I mean, or maybe I am because if you have an opinion on me as a mom and you're not one of my four children, if you are one of my four children, I'm confused because how do you have access to a podcast? It's so outside the realm of what I am willing to accept in my life that if someone tried to attack me in that area, it wouldn't touch my confidence in any way because, like, you, I'm trying to think of how to explain it. Like, I'm just so strong in what I am doing and how I am parenting. And just in case you're curious, like, well, why? What are you doing that you think is so great? Well, I know my kids. And I think a lot of you are looking at the world and asking the world how you're doing as a parent instead of looking at the evidence. Look at your babies. How are they doing? Are they good? Are they genuinely good people? They have good hearts? And yeah, they fight with each other. And yeah, sometimes you feed them, you know, Cheetos for dinner. And yeah, they're getting a, you know, they're getting a C in that subject. But gosh, they're, they're doing really well in this subject over here. You're doing a good job. Everyone is so hard on themselves, and so they feel insecure, and they allow someone else to speak into this thing. Other people don't get an opinion here, and because you don't get an opinion, you don't get to touch the way that I feel about myself or my confidence in my ability. Allow your confidence to be the thermostat. Do not allow your confidence to be affected by how other people think or what the situation calls for. The next question is, is there a topic that you want to cover on Rise or Rise Together that you've been too afraid to speak on yet? I think honestly, you guys, I'm not just saying this. We really do put everything out there. I mean, we've had really hard conversations on this podcast. We've talked about our sex life. We had a conversation just a couple weeks ago that was really difficult. We both cried. It ended up bringing up like a whole bubble bunch of stuff. And then we had to work through that. Like we really do talk to you about what's going on and try really hard to model behavior that we hope is helpful for you. So when it comes to Rise Together, we try and put it all out there. I can't think of something that I want to talk about that I haven't because how I have built my career is if something was nagging me or on my heart and I really felt like I was supposed to discuss it, I just would. The next question is, how can I support a spouse who is grieving? Such a beautiful question that you are cognizant of that and trying to find a way to Walk with your partner through this season. I think my best advice, and there's been many times in my life where Dave has had to walk with me through grief, but I think the first question is, the first question is really like, how do they want to carry grief? And I'm sure that if you read books or talked to a therapist, they would maybe have some different advice. But just going off of our relationship, I can tell you personally that I grieve in a very, very private way. 
I do not want people to try and grieve with me. And interestingly enough, Dave is the only person in my life who is sort of allowed to walk with me through that. It's a vulnerability thing. And it comes from a childhood of not feeling like it was safe to be able to break down or grieve. And so for whatever reasons, that is how I process today. And I have absolutely lost friendships because of grief that I was walking through and the friend kind of wanting to control how that grief showed up. I don't know if this will make sense to you listeners, but wanting to control like, let me bring you food. Let me come and sit with you. Let me hold your hand while you cry. And like, that's so beautiful. And at first I was just like, oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you. I will let you know. And then the person just kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing. And at some point it was like, man, this isn't even about me. This is about you needing to be here for me whether I want it or not. Or this is about how you, friend, would like to grieve. Like if the situation were reversed, you actually want someone to come and be this role for you. And so you're trying to love me the way you want to be loved. But the reality is we all love differently. We grieve differently. And so if you are trying to help your partner grieve the way you grieve, that doesn't necessarily help them. So in the same way that I hope all of you ask your people and know what their love language is, it, it would be wise to know. And if, if, by the way, if maybe this is new, you haven't walked through this with them before, if it feels appropriate, ask them, how can I, how can I help you? And if you don't have a good answer right now, hey, babe, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure that I wash the dishes. I'm going to make sure I'll rub your back while you cry. Or, hey, I'll watch the kids while you cry. Or I'll let you cry. Or, you know what? You don't want to, babe, you don't want to cry anymore? Awesome. I'm going to take you to see Frozen 2. And we are going to hope to goodness that Elsa finds her love because we know single ladies are powerful, but also it'd be beautiful if she has a love story. I'm just saying, Disney gods. Um, but whatever it is that your partner needs that's how you walk through it with them. I think what pops in my brain, and I don't know for sure that this question came from someone who's walking through this situation, but it's for some reason it's like tugging on my heart, which I always feel like is God being like, talk about this thing. So bear with me as I talk about this thing. I'm hoping that if you're listening to this right now and you have ever walked with a partner Specifically, what pops into my brain is walking with a partner through miscarriage or walking with a partner through infertility. So many friends and family members have really struggled with this, where the woman is grieving the loss of a baby through miscarriage or the loss of the dream of carrying a baby because of infertility. And the partner who is a man is really struggling to understand. And I remember a friend talking to me about this. Uh, she had lost a baby and they had kids. They, they had kids and then she lost this baby and it had been months and her husband, very loving man, but she's still crying. You know, she's still crying every day and she, you know, taking care of her, her children. But then after they go to bed or whatever, she's, she's still grieving the loss of this baby. And I remember her husband would just like, bless his heart, so lost. I was just like, I don't. 
babe, like it's been months and, you know, I don't understand. I, you know, like he's trying so desperately to understand, like kind of his perspective was like, how can you still be sad? And he didn't mean to be hurtful, but obviously that can feel very hurtful if you're the person grieving because then you think that something's wrong with your grief. Or maybe you try and hide that grief away or you don't allow yourself to walk through it because you feel like you're bothering other people. And so what I would just say, if that happens to be you or if you know someone who's walking through this, please send them this podcast. It doesn't matter what the grief is. You are not allowed to narrate anyone else's grief story. No, but you don't get an opinion. You do not get an opinion. Number one, I'm I'm watching my older sister navigate this after she's lost her husband and lots of people have an opinion on how she should be grieving. Shouldn't she do, be doing this? Why isn't she doing that? And I like want to beat people up. Like how dare you? You, you, A, you don't have any perspective, but even if you did, even if you walked through something similar, you don't know what it feels like to be her. And so you don't get to tell her that she should be crying more or that she should be crying less or that she should be this or that. You don't get to narrate anyone else's story of grief. But especially if you are a partner who doesn't understand what it feels like to have lost a child or to not be able to conceive a child, just rest in the knowledge that you don't understand. Because I think for so many of my friends, what they're grieving is the loss of what could be. They're grieving the babe, you know, you found out at, at for, for so many people, but like you, and maybe it's those of you who are walking through adoption or you're in the waiting process, or whatever, like you think, oh, I got matched with a baby or, oh, I'm pregnant with a baby or, oh, you already imagined you 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 built a life for that baby in your mind. See, my friend's husband, he he had only I'm using air quotes, but like he had only had a baby as this idea in his mind for a few months. My friend had a whole vision. She saw how the family was going to change. She saw the day the baby would be born. She saw maybe she saw the wedding day, you know, cuz she knew it was going to be a little girl like you don't understand. So you the only thing that you can the only thing that you can do. And this is only if your partner is willing is ask questions. Ask questions and allow them to talk through it or hold their hand while they cry. Or buy them ice cream just because. I promise you if she is able to process this the way that she needs to and as long as she's still you know, taking care of herself, getting outside, you know, because there's something very different between grieving and that turning into a deep depression that you can't pull yourself out of. But if if she's just in the grieving process or if he's just in the grieving process, please allow them to experience that. I know it's scary when it's your partner and you love them, but they need to be able to process exactly how they should, not how you think they should or how you think it would make you feel more safe if they were back to who they used to be. Okay, so this question's interesting. How can I help my mom get out of her fixed mindset? She's hurting and I'm hurting for her. The only way I know of to change someone else 
is to be an example that makes them want to change. That's the only way I know. You can't force someone to change. You can't beg someone to change. They actually have to want it for themselves. Because even if they love you enough to want to change and to do the work, it won't stick. It won't stay. It's like if you've ever been with a partner who um, had an addictive personality and needed to quit something and you asked them to quit for you, do it for me, unless they do it for themselves, it won't stay. So for your mom, the best example I know of is to just to set the goal yourself. What does it look like to have? And here are the books that I'm reading, and this is the podcast, and not in a way that's trying to force her or tell her to do it, but just in a way that's showing her what is. Also, shameless plug for real, because this is like the answer. Um, Dave's book comes out in March. Dave's book comes out in March, and it's all about going from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset and what that was like and how hard it was and the things that he did. And so, you know, if you can't buy it, get it at the library, but maybe there's something that would be helpful for y'all in that story. What are the things that are not your natural gifts? This doesn't really have anything to do with relationships, but man, that is a fun question. What are the things that are not my natural gifts? So many. I don't think I'm naturally gifted at business. I am very, very successful as an entrepreneur and will continue to build a business that absolutely boggles y'all's mind. I don't think I was naturally gifted for that. No way. I have taught myself how to be excellent at business. I have I have spent 15 years, 16 years learning to be great at that. So I don't think that was a natural gift. Um, I I think I've talked about this before, but I am not a very good mom to little babies. I I mean, don't let me let me say that again. I'm a very good mom. They're alive, they're well cared for, but I don't I don't like baby stage. I really like kids as soon as they can talk. You know, I want to know who you are. When you can't tell me who you are or what's wrong, you're just like screaming and you're teething. I just, I really, I hated those years. I'm so grateful for my kids. If you now think I'm a bad mom, please go back to the, you know, minute, six minutes in when I told you that I don't care. (laughs) Um, But that I don't feel naturally gifted as a mom to little kids. I have my sisters-in-law are like so amazing with babies and toddlers. And that's just not my, that's not my spiritual gifting. Um, Things I'm not naturally gifted at. Guys, like so many things, so many things, just like you. There's so many things I cannot do. Hold on. Let me, I'm making noise with this paper. Let me, let me just possibly blow your mind. Or maybe you thought of this before. The people, oh, I'm giving myself chills. This is the inst- this is the moment to cut for social guys. I've just had an epiphany in my mind. The people that you see in media, on social media, in life that you admire that you're like, "Ugh. They just it just seems like they do everything well. They're just naturally gifted." BS. They are not naturally gifted. We are not. We just know what we're good at and we just do that thing. Think about it for a minute. It's not that we are necessarily better or that it's just that we are like, oh, that's the thing that I know how to do really well and I'm going to let everything else go. I'm not going to, oh man, 
This, can you get this? Can you hear me? Listen to me. I'm so excited about this idea. It's like your kid comes home with a report card, right? And you're looking at the report card and the kid has an A in English and an A in science and a B in this and a C in this and a D. Which thing do we as parents make the kid work on? What do you get a tutor for? The D. Your kid comes home with a report card and you get a tutor You invest money and time and you tell this kid the most important thing in your life is to take your D grade and get it up to passing. What you completely ignore was that Johnny was so talented, his, his English teacher had put a note in there about what an incredible creative writer he was and if you could encourage him in this space and oh my gosh, look at this story. No, you ignored his the natural talents to make it so that he could just be on the same level in geometry as everybody else in his grade. The people that you see that you perceive as great at all the things are actually just great at a couple of things, but that's all we do. You wanna know what I'm great at? Communication. I'm an excellent communicator. It's why I have a podcast, multiple podcasts that are so successful. It's why I have a series of live events that are so successful. It's why my coaching is so successful. It's why my books are so successful. And I know that I sound like a douchebag right now, naming all the things that I'm successful in. But if you think about it, all of those are my ability to communicate with you. That's all I'm doing is just using the thing that I am naturally gifted in, communication, and blasting the heck out of it and growing and learning and getting better and better. So y'all got a tutor in geometry and I became my own tutor in how to get better at the thing that I was already skilled at. Looking back now, what encouragement would you give to a 22-year-old Rach? This question is coming from a 22-year-old dreamer. If I had truly understood at 22, that someone else's opinion had no weight in my life unless I gave that to them. Like if I could really have let go of other people's opinion, friends, family, strangers, the world, I can't even fathom where I would be right now. It's like if you followed my career for a long time, look at how much my life has changed in the last five years. The, the catalyst was that I learned to stop caring what other people thought of me. And everything fell into place and everything exploded in the best possible way. Everything got better when I took that weight off my shoulders. If I could have had that, oh my gosh, 20, tw- at 22, y'all, I would be Jeff Bezos by now. I mean, I don't even know what I would have built, but it would have been something freaking crazy. Something. That's that's probably not even that ex- like I know you've heard me say it before, but there's a reason why. Because if you're a 22-year-old dreamer, you've got ideas. And if you are like most 22-year-olds that I know, you also have the perception of who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to act and what your Instagram's supposed to look like and what your body's supposed to look like and that you're supposed to be married by a certain age or have kids by a certain age. And the reality is that you are on your own unique path. 
And nobody gets an opinion because they have their own path. If they want to live a certain life or they want to run a certain race, then they get to do it in the life that they're in. They don't get to give that to you. And so if I could have just released myself from that, oh my gosh, the world would have exploded so much earlier for me. I can't, you know, those of you who are listening to this and you're like, man, that would, yeah, I get it, Rach. Like, that would be nice. It would be really nice to, to let go of that and to not care what other people thought. And if you think that's true and you don't have that already, you need to actively work to make that your reality. We can teach ourselves anything. We can adopt any mindset. There's so much information on the internet right now that will help you change your way of thinking, that will help you let go of other people's opinions, that will help you live more truthfully and honestly as who you are. Do not buy into the lie that you can't have a life like that or that you can't come out from under other people's expectations or that you cannot be who you really are because you will lose love or admiration. It's just if, if someone, if you being yourself means that you lose love, then that person was not for you. I, I We were at a... The nonprofit we were at this weekend is uh, an organization called The Trevor Project, which we have supported for a long time. Uh, You've probably, I hope you listened to our episode where we talked to their CEO, but it's an organization that uh, creates suicide hotlines for LGBTQ youth. So these are kids who are questioning or gay or bi or trans or the, the point is They are calling, we hope if we get them in time, they're calling a suicide hotline because they want to kill themselves because they're worried that if mama knew that they liked boys or if daddy knew that they were this way or if grandma knew that it would be better to be dead than to be who they are. And that is devastating. That is awful. Like, oh, if if someone cannot love you in a romantic relationship, in a parental relationship, in a friendship, if they can't love you for who you truly are, they are not for you. Babe, they are not for you. Someone needs to hear me say this right now. They are not meant for you, even if they are your blood. There is someone out there who will love you fully and completely as who you are. And if you don't feel that or you don't feel like you can be honest about who you are, whatever that looks like. For, for some people, it's being honest about their orientation. For, for someone else, it's that they feel like they're too loud, too extra. They're, you know, they they like to wear bright colors, but their mom thinks that's ugly or they want to have short hair, but only pretty, you know, pretty girls are this or good girls are married by the time they're 25. Or if you really loved mom and dad, then you would become a lawyer like we want you to. Like if they can't love you for who you really are, then they don't really love you. They love 
an image that they have made up in their mind and one that you have allowed them to believe. Your people are out there. I know this is taking a very weird turn, but my heart says someone needs to hear this. Your community is out there. Your tribe is out there. Your friends are out there. And you might not find them right away, but I promise you that making yourself smaller so that you can feel love is a false sense of belonging. I would rather, I would rather be myself fully and lose the love of my community or my family because at least in being myself fully, I'm able to love myself. And if you don't have love for yourself, it doesn't matter how many people tell you that they love you or tell you that they like you or tell you that you're beautiful or you're good or you're right. If you don't love yourself, you don't have anything. And if you don't truly love yourself, you will spend the rest of your life seeking out love in unhealthy ways. That's what I didn't know at 22. Okay, guys, I hope you liked this Q&A with Ray Ray. That's literally what I just named it right now. We have a super fun idea, which is having questions but hearing them directly from you. So we put together an answering machine. I mean, I'm a child of the early 90s, so I understand it's not a real answering machine. It's like a voicemail. But if you have a question for Rise Together or me on the Rise podcast talking about business, please call 737-400-HOCO. That's 737-400-4626. So call, ask your questions, be sure and say your name, and hopefully you'll be on an upcoming episode of one of our podcasts. Until next time, be sure and subscribe to the podcast. If you are listening and you are not subscribed, don't be rude. It really helps us if you hit that button so that you get a notification every single time we post a new episode. And as always, if you thought this was helpful, I'd super appreciate if you shared it with a friend or screenshot it and put it on social, tag me and hashtag Rise Podcast so I can hear what you thought.